You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, it is Friday, and Fridays are awesome because that means Saturday you don't have to go to work unless you work weekends and then you have to go to work, but you have another different week. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's Friday. I'm happy. I don't have to go to my cubicle tomorrow, and it's it's fortunately because I get to see my family, but because I have such a big family, I have two more Christmases this upcoming weekend, so that means I'll be on the road again, and I won't be able to partake in any late season hunting, and then next week is the ATA show, so I may have Sunday night and Monday night to hunt, and that's it, and then I'm done, and uh, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get a crack at a deer, because it's... I don't know, just the way this farm sets up, that's close. I'm not going to be able to make it down to my main farm. I'm, uh, uh, the farm that I do have permission to hunt is, is close to some standing foods, but it's 100 yards away uh, from it. So I just don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm knocking on wood. I'm hope, Hopefully I can get out, uh, fight the cold, and uh, get a crack at a late-season deer. If, uh, if a buck did happen to come by, it would be straight up luck there's no skill at this point um because i haven't done anything as far as going out to try to pattern them i do have some trail cameras out that i'll probably check uh sunday for sure and if uh there is something there that uh is worth my while i will go ahead and maybe chase it but other than that man uh it's a priority time and priority right now is um getting all my affairs in order. I never thought I would say that. Getting all my affairs in order. I am getting all my affairs in order for the ATA show. Um, Got some meetings and doing business stuff, hopefully to expand uh, the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. But um, that's what's going on in my neck of the woods. Hopefully all of you are having uh, a great season. I know a lot of the Midwestern states are either done 
or winding down. And uh, I talked to a guy from uh, Alabama the other day, and not not the guy from Alabama on this podcast today, but a different guy, and he's saying that uh, there's parts of the rut. He, he, He talked about December as early season. So he said, yeah, it's kind of early. You know, I did some early, early season scouting, and it was in December, which blows me away, right? It just tells you that uh, everybody throughout the United States hunts a little bit different. And with those southern different ruts, uh, it's a whole new world uh, down there. So, uh, you know, and today we're going to be talking with someone from Alabama, not necessarily about the differences between Midwestern and southern hunts, but kind of another outside of the box approach to hunting and again we are talking with someone who used a kayak to access part uh, you know a part of a of a national forest to hunt deer where other hunters were all going in from the road he was accessing this ground from uh, a creek and from a river and from a lake uh, to get to a completely different part of these the these uh, huntable properties that nobody is doing, and it allowed him to be successful, and that's what this podcast is about today. I loved talking with this guy because not only do you get to hear his enthusiasm for hunting in general, but you get to hear how excited he was when he was able to put a plan together and make it work, right, on a kayak. Uh, and then there's some uh, pretty funny stories <laughs> uh, about him having to go for a little swim that are that are in there as well. So uh, just another kick-ass podcast. But before we get to the podcast, Wasp Archery, Wasp Broadheads. This year, I used the Boss Four Blades. Dude, they're crushers, man. They just destroy. And, uh, you know, they don't have that huge cutting channel like uh, some of the these major... Um, mechanicals have although wasp does have uh big cutting mechanicals i really like the boss four blade because it just packed a freaking punch and it did damage um and i didn't have to tweak my uh my arrow setup a lot when i went from my field points to my my broadheads yes there was some adjustment and if anybody ever tells you that their broadhead there's zero adjustment from their uh from their field tips to their broadheads that is a that's a lie <laughs> it's a joke they they can't be held serious they can't be taken seriously because there's always going to be a little bit of adjustment Although the adjustment with my wa- my boss four, four blades was minimal, I still I still had to do a little adjustments. Anyway, what I'm getting at is, dude, th- they are durable. Um, they inflicted a lot of damage, and along with my new arrow setup, man, I was just geeked to uh, to get those. So go to wasparchery.com, and if you decide to purchase uh, some of their broadheads, enter the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, and you're going to receive 20% off your order. All right, enough of that. Let's get into today's podcast with Parker McDonald. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. On the show today, we are talking with... Mr. Parker McDonald. How are you doing today, Parker? Doing good, Dan. How are you? I can't complain other than uh, it's cold. And uh, <laughs> I don't know about 
Okay, you live in Alabama, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Alabama. Coleman, Alabama. Coleman, Alabama. Now, when I used to live in Alabama, I didn't live too far from Coleman. I lived in a town called Hartzell, and then I worked in Decatur. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so um, there was a – two things real quick. I got to tell you a story about Alabama. One, there was this barbecue joint in Hartzell that was – probably four or five people could sit inside of it. The rest was just all the area where they cooked. And after I would get off work, uh, probably three times, three or four times a week, I'd go to that drive through. I'd order um, brisket and pork and uh, pulled chicken and potato salad and beans. And I just like, I'd stuff my face four, four or five days a week. So Alabama, uh, <laughs> is I, that smoking swine? I don't, I don't remember what it was. Just a really, really small, right off the main drag that runs through town. I, yeah, I used to work in Hartzell, uh, not long ago and, uh, something swine or something. I know exactly where you're talking about. Uh, have, that's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. I'll have to pull it up on a map, but, um, yeah, dude, Alabama. That's uh, it's, it's a funny coincidence. Now, big question. This is the big question. Are you War Eagle or are you Roll Tide? <laughs> uh, well, I guess uh, I, I'm from West Texas originally, so okay. I kind of came into the um, the Alabama football uh, scene. So I guess so I can stay a part of my family that's here. Probably roll tide, but I love watching Alabama fans lose. That <laughs> hey, it's, I, it's the funniest thing ever. It's funny when I worked there. Uh, there, there were guys that were would literally be best friends, and then the week that Auburn played Alabama, they won't even talk to each other. It, 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 blo- yeah. it blows my mind. Like we have a, we have a rivalry in Iowa between. Uh, Iowa and Iowa State where we you know we we make fun of Iowa State and you know we jab at them and they jab at us but it's nothing compared to like people stop being friends for a week uh oh yeah and then they you know it's like okay well until next year I guess I'll deal with you we have I actually I work at a I work at a church and our um our attendance is down when Alabama loses (laughs) (laughs) And it's bad. It's a pretty rough thing to be a part of. But (laughs) so getting into that, Parker, why don't you tell us what do you do for a living? Yeah, so I am a worship pastor at a church in Coleman, Alabama. Actually, we have um, we have three campuses and one of them is in Hartzell, uh, Alabama. And then the other one is in Madison, Alabama. Um, and so I oversee the music department for all three of the campuses. And so, um, I'm mostly at our, uh, our broadcast campus, which is in, uh, Coleman or actually in Good Hope, Alabama, but I oversee the worship department, uh, as a whole for the whole church. Okay. So what, what does that entail? I mean, you just, uh, write sermons and, and, uh, organize that kind of stuff. No, actually, uh, what I'm in charge of is the music portion. Okay. Um, gotcha. And so uh, we have we have uh, worship leaders at all of our campuses, and I oversee um, just what that looks like. And so it's a contemporary church, so uh, it's pretty loud music. Um, uh, I have like I have like a a full sleeve of tattoos on one arm and then the other <laughs> arm. So just to give people a visual, it's not like I'm a I'm not a suit and tie kind of guy. Gotcha. Um, 
um, we're a very contemporary church, and uh, and so I just oversee all of that stuff, and um, I also do a lot of graphic design and video for the church as well. Perfect, perfect. I tell you what, man, when I went to church, my church that I grew up in was a, like, worst, it was like the worst possible thing for a guy like me who could barely pay attention to anything, <laughs> right? So, yeah. so stand up, sit down, sing a song, here's the sermon, read out of the Bible, stand up, sit down, read, you know, like, just so boring. And then I went to one of my buddy's churches one time, and it was a contemporary service, and the bass guitarist was just this like old hippie and he was just like jamming with his eyes closed and like just move <laughs> dancing all over the place. And I was like, Holy cow, what did I walk into? This is awesome. So, you almost don't know whether it's better or worse to see right, that. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, just kind of cool, you know, seeing it, uh, seeing it a different way, but now whitetails, right? Um, yes, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that a lot today, but I, I getting back into Alabama, man, I tell you what, I, when I lived in Alabama, I lived there for about a year and, you know, I'm from Iowa and I'm just used to seeing deer on every drive out there. <laughs> I'm used to seeing, you know, decent sized bucks and a good, good numbers. When I went, when I, where I lived in Alabama, I would, I was driving to and from work in the perfect times, you know, the, the time of day where it was yep. either just getting dark or just getting light. And I would would have thought that I would be seeing a lot of deer, but I I saw in probably nine months one deer. I'm not joking, one deer, and it was probably the size of a, a lab. Um, so so Alabama, what first? That that just brings me to the first question, and, and that is, what is the deer population like in the the part of Alabama where you hunt? So, um, so like I said, I've, I've lived here collectively. I've lived here for about five years. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that, but I actually have family here. And so, uh, I killed my first deer when I was 10 years old, um, out of a shooting house in, uh, like Northern Alabama, Northwestern Alabama, I believe. Um, I shot my first deer in Alabama and I didn't shoot another deer. We would hunt here every single year. Uh, when we come for Thanksgiving and Christmas and I didn't shoot another deer in Alabama till I was, uh, 20, 21, I think. Okay. Um, didn't even have any opportunities to shoot deer. And I'm telling you from, so that 11 years hunting in Alabama, I, I shot, uh, a deer when I was 10, my first time out. And then not until I was like 21. Um, and so the, de- <laughs> that just lets you know a little bit of how, right. um, the population is it, it's not like, um, Texas, where I'm from, where you can go and sit and uh, see, you know, you can be selective and you can see deer pretty much every time you go out um, and sit, you'd be able to see, you know, at least five or six. Um, Alabama is just a completely different animal. And I've always felt like the state had a vendetta against me because <laughs> I just, I would go out and get on clubs on a lease and pay you know close to a thousand dollars and shoot last year I, got, I paid almost uh like 600 and something dollars i think and i shot two does and i hunted like three or four days a week yeah and um <laughs> it was just it was killing me man and so uh the the population man it's just really tough the state has actually done some pretty cool things um and used to uh in alabama you could kill a buck a day 
and yeah. a dough and a dough a day. Um, and then they changed it and they gave you three buck tags, but you could still shoot a doe every single day of the season. Um, and guys did it. And, um, now you actually, um, there's basically two weeks, uh, like the second week of rifle season is, uh, doe days. And then the week of Christmas is doe days. Uh, you can shoot does with a bow. You can shoot one doe with a bow every single day of the year or of the season. Um, but with a gun, which is what most people uh, hunt with out here, uh, there's there's a few bow hunters, not a ton. Um, most people like to blow them away with a gun. And in the county that I hunt, they really don't pay much attention to the doe days anyway. Yeah. Um, it's kind of it's some of the old timers out there kind of see it as more of a suggestion than a um, than a law, but it is a law, and so. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough population, but it is coming back uh, because they put some of those things in place. Um, it is kind of getting a little bit bigger. But I know the drive that you're talking about from Hartsville to Decatur. Yeah, and you're not going to see a ton of deer out there, even though it looks like it. You just won't. <laughs> yeah, and I took the back roads, man. I was taking back roads the the entire way. Yeah. and, and uh, I was just like, man, I went out and just I don't know. It was. Uh, it was a, it was different. And then, uh, even, even when I would go and like, I, I went turkey hunting one time and there's a big forest down there. I'm trying to, uh, where all the, there's like all these waterfalls are in this forest. And yeah, I went, is it, is it Bankhead? Yeah, that's right. Bankhead. Right. Yeah. That's, that's where we're going to be talking about today. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So it's good. Uh, like I didn't even plan that tr- transition, but there you go. Wonderful. But yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I w- I'd go turkey hunting there and I, I didn't even see any deer when I was going turkey hunting. So I was just, man. So I didn't even deer hunt when I was living down there. Um, so the, the, the population is low. And so when you go out uh, before this season, when you would go out and hunt, how many deer would you expect to see in a, in a, let's say an afternoon sit or an all day sit or, or a morning sit? Um, well, I'll say it like this before, before this season, um, I wouldn't expect to see anything. And if I saw one, then it was a good day and it was worth the trip. (laughs) Right. Right. So I I talked to a guy from, uh, uh, Vermont on the last podcast we did. And he told me like, man, I'm seeing, if I see 10 to 15 deer a year, that is a good year and it that mm-hmm. blew my mind right i you know i'm i'm accustomed to this midwest lifestyle where everything you know <laughs> there's a ton of everything and there's big yeah. everything so so coming from texas you know yeah you were you were in alabama when you were younger then you moved to texas where there was a good population and there was good quality and then you move back to alabama where you're dealing with low you know, low quality, low populations. What, what did you do to adapt to, to that change? Um, well, so this year, uh, was kind of a, um, one of those seasons for me that I was just like, okay, I had a baby. We had our first baby, um, in February of last year of 2017 and, um, so obviously finances go to different places when you have a baby and, um, and also your time kind of 
goes away. Whenever it was just me and my wife, you know, I could, um, she could do her thing and I could do my thing and, you know, I could, I could hunt pretty good bit. Like I said, last year I hunted three or four days, uh, a week or at least during the afternoon or maybe go before work in the morning. Um, and I knew that this season was going to be completely different because of the baby. And so, uh, I was just like, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste my money. I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars, um, going and trying to kill a six point, you know, if I get right. lucky enough to see one. Um, so I'm just going to hunt public and, you know, listening to a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, um, here, a bunch of the guys that you talk to hunt public land and, um, uh, you know, watching Steven Ranella and, um, watching the hush crew guys go at it on public land out West. I was like, how can I do that in Alabama? And so, um, I just decided I made the decision. I'm only going to hunt Bankhead and, or the public land. There's also another place called Wheeler, uh, Wheeler wildlife refuge. That's actually indicator. Um, and I, I hunted there as well, but, uh, I knew what I knew was going to happen was if I just go out to where uh, other guys are parking on the roads and, and going out and hunting, I'm not going to see anything except for a bunch of other hunters. Right. And, um, so, uh, I kayak fish. I've always kayak fished. I, I say always for about the past five years. Um, I, I've kayak fished during the, during the spring and summer, um, and decided, Hey, why don't I try to find these landlocked spots, um, on the national forest, um, on the water that I can only get to by water. And, um, so I did that. I got my, I got a trailer ready. I got my rig set up, um, bought a climber, um, that was perfect for transporting on my kayak and it, it folds a hawk and it folds down, um, to very thin. Uh, I got lights on the front of my kayak so that I could go out early in the morning. And so I just basically spent, put an investment in, um, on gear like that. And instead of getting on a place to hunt and started scouting and, um, once I started scouting, man, it was like, holy cow, there's deer out here. Uh, and you know, you're going into these places that people don't get to, uh, it would be two and a half, three miles for them to, to hike to it. And, and Bankhead's very rugged. The terrain is really tough to, to hike. And so, um, I started going into these little pockets, man, on these Creek bottoms coming out of the lake and gosh, there was deer tracks everywhere. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really encouraging, but I still wasn't sold on it because I'd always hunted green fields and food plots that had a lot of tracks in them at night. So, uh, I guess really the first day of deer season was going to be the, um, it was going to be the, uh, the way I was going to tell if this is actually going to work or not. Right. Um, and so, so you decided, I mean, that that's a big jump, right? I mean, you're going yeah. from everything that you used to know to, Hey man, let's get in a kayak, take all my stuff with me and then, you know, kayak by water to a, uh, to a location that there may or may not be deer at. <laughs> were, were you doing a lot of preseason scouting at all? Or did most of it come in? Was it like on the fly type scouting and hunting at the same time? No, it was definitely so. Most of my time, my wife actually made fun of me so much because I would just sit on the couch, uh, looking at my Onyx maps, and just looking for little forty-acre pieces of public land 
that was just separated um, out and landlocked. But it, the the thing with the kayak is is that it actually has to be close close enough to a boat ramp or like a mud spot that I could put in easy. Um, so there's a lot of variables, and so I just like I searched this national forest area <laughs> every single free minute that I had. And, um, kind of, I mean, if you looked at my Onyx maps right now, it looks like a, like a Christmas tree. There's just markers everywhere. <laughs> and, um, and Bankhead's a big national forest. So it goes, I think it's like close to 300,000 acres. Uh, but it's all separated, you know, there's, there's different pieces of it. And so, and then also I, you know, once I found those spots that just like, okay, this is perfect. I'm going to go put boots on the ground and I'm going to go look at it. And I did all that before the season started. And, um, just made a couple trips, you know, uh, all day trips, just going to see if I could get in, seeing what, um, what the water was like there. Some of it's in little creeks, um, where there's blown down trees. And, uh, so it's really hard to navigate in a kayak. And then you also, also have to factor in, you know, if I shoot a deer, how am I going to get through all these blown down trees with my kayak and a deer in here? And so there's just a lot of factors that go into it, but uh, I was able to narrow it down to uh, about four or five different locations, and then each location had you know several spots that I could I could hunt on, depending depending on the wind and uh, other variables and stuff like that, wind and weather and things. Gotcha. So you mentioned these landlocked. You know, you're looking for these landlocked uh, parts of of ground on. You know, you used Onyx maps, but what specifically, from a terrain standpoint, were you looking for that said, hey, you know, it's going to be worth my time to go put some boots on the ground there and, and start scouting? Yeah, so the first thing, the very first thing I would look for is um, the roads and w- what roads were close. If there were any roads that were close, for the most part, I wasn't even going to waste my time on it. Um, because there's so many people who deer hunt out here. Uh, I just, I knew what was going to happen is I've, you know, spend an hour paddling to a spot and get there and there'd be somebody sitting there. And so I just decided I'm going to be as road free as I can. And so that was the first thing I would look for. I know that's not a terrain feature, but it was pretty important, um, to it. And so the next thing I would look for is, uh, on my, uh, on my topo map, um, uh, this lake has got a lot of cliffs on it, a lot of real steep drop-offs. And so to be able to beach my kayak and park it uh, and be able to, you know, hike and get up to it, it had to be a pretty flattened out spot. Um, and so I was looking for little creek channels um, that would that would come in uh, to the lake. And usually what would happen is if there was a, a creek channel coming out, then I could uh, – it, it would flatten out. It was just kind of the – I guess the – over the years, it flattened it out, and so I could get in right there. Um, then the next thing, you know, I was looking for saddles, looking for edges. Uh, of course, on public land, you don't have like field edges or anything like that. Um, and so I was really using, trying to use as much of the the Dan in, Dan Infault method as I could by trying trying to find bedding, finding those um, real thick areas on the on the uh, military crest and looking for those kind of, kind of places. Right. And, uh, I spent a lot of time listening to him and spending time on the hunting beast forum. Uh, cause most of those guys are, uh, they're public land deer hunters. And so, 
just some of the, I mean, really um, looking for uh, oaks, anything that had acorns that were fallen. Um, when I would actually go and put boots on the ground, I'd try to find those those spots that, you know, didn't have just a ton of acorns, but I could find those big white oaks that uh, that would be where the deer would be hanging out at. Right. So when you, dis- when you were, um, you know, when you ended up doing your scouting, like initially, did you find sign that was promising? I mean, were you, were you going in and being like, bingo, I'm setting up here or did it take some time to find some of these locations where it's like, well, it's not exactly what I'm hoping for, but it's good enough for me to put some time in here. Man, I'll be honest, like it it was a, a very, um, it was a mixture of all of that. Uh, so sometimes I'd go into the creek, the little creek bottoms and there'd be a bunch of mud and it'd be like, it, it looked like a herd of deer just came through here an hour ago. Um, and then there was some spots that I'd go to and say, you know, the terrain, uh, what I've seen on the map doesn't look great by the lake, but if I hike in a little ways, I can find those spots. And then some of the spots were just like, well, I'm not going to come here at all because I'm not seeing anything that looks like it'd be worth my time. Maybe I might have been wrong. Um, but you really want to make sure when you're putting this amount of work into one hunt, into one morning, you know, I have to get up. I live about an hour away from the national forest. So I have to get up at two o'clock in the morning, um, drive there, then unload all my stuff and then paddle for an hour, uh, in the cold. When you're putting that amount of work into stuff, it's like, I want to give myself every chance. And if I'm not, if I'm not seeing sign here, then maybe a big deer was living in there and I just didn't see a sign, but, um, I want to make every moment count and every hunt count. Uh, and so, uh, but I would say honestly, for the most part, the spots, I would tell any guy that's wanting to go out and do something like this, pay attention to the Onyx maps or some, whatever kind of, uh, map you're looking at research and do that stuff. Because I saw this year that it really paid off, um, because I spent so much time looking at it. Most of the spots I went to were good spots, um, and so I would trust that, trust those terrain features. Now, you know, deer, they're not easy to kill. They're not easy to hunt. Right. Um, but if you study enough, you can give yourself the best chance for right. sure. Okay. So you were able to find a couple of decent locations that you thought were going to be worth your time. It sounds like you were pretty observant uh, in those scouting trips. Now, how long did it take you? I mean, did you do any dry runs? Because you're now now you're dealing with a, a completely new piece of equipment in a kayak, right? I mean, yeah. for me, I'm not getting I'm not putting a kayak out of my truck and getting in. I mean, it, it's just it's a completely new thing you got to do to your process every day. Yeah. Did, did that take some training, uh, teaching yourself trial? Did you do any dry runs before the season started with, with all your gear completely loaded up or did you just wing it? So, um, so I have a, an SUV, I don't have a truck anymore. And this was kind of the reason it was really what spurred me into this whole thing in the first place. Um, I bought an SUV, a Hummer and could no longer carry my kayak on the back of my truck. And so I bought this ski boat trailer and did a whole bunch of modifications to it. I put, uh, a, like a roof rack 
on the top of it. I put a second level on it. Um, I put a toolbox on it, all kinds of stuff just to make it perfect for to hunt with. Um, and so I use that a lot during the spring during, uh, while I was fishing and stuff, um, or I'm sorry, during the summer. And, um, I was able to use it pretty and get that, that part of the process down. But, um, what I added to my kayak was, uh, lights. So it's obviously going in at, you know, three thirty in the morning, it's dark on the lake by yourself. You want to have some kind of light on the water. Right. Um, and so I put these led lights on it with a battery box and, uh, and then of course kayaking with your tree stand, I had to figure out a way to get all that. But honestly, um, I did not do any, any dry runs with it, um, until <laughs> opening day of bow season, um, because I actually didn't, I was going back and forth on tree stands and back and forth on if I wanted to get, um, you know, a, a hang on stand with sticks versus a climber. Um, and if I wanted to get a climber, what kind did I want to get? Um, I was going back and forth and trying to find, you know, bargains and ended up settling on the Hawk because it, it collapses down. And so I didn't get that until the day I left for the first, for my first trip. Right. Um, I bought it that morning and made that decision. And I was just trying to hold off as long as I could. And so, uh, the first day, but honestly it, it all worked exactly like I thought it would in my head. Um, and so, uh, of course, you can't you can't do a dry run testing on how it's going to be with a deer on the front, but um, everything else for the most part, uh, I you know, and I've I've ad- adapted, um, had some things you know that weren't exactly right that I've fixed throughout the season, um, but for the most part, what I did on the first day, that's what I've done the whole time, and uh, and it's worked really well. Like I said, I kayak in about uh, a mile and a half, two miles a lot of the times and, and it, it really doesn't, um, it doesn't mess with the kayak too much or the balance or the stability of it, having all that weight on it. Nice. Nice. All right. So completely new adventure for you. The season starts, right? Are you the guy and the guy who goes in opening day and tries to get it done? Or are you, do you wait for the good times year or are you just, you know, how, how do you approach the season? So what I did this year, um, because I was pretty confident in my spot and I didn't use any cameras, um, just because of the horror stories that I've heard from people, you know, getting cameras stolen on public land. Uh, so I didn't want to waste my money on that. And, um, so what I decided to do was go to the, um, a couple of spots that I didn't think were going to be as good. Um, they had decent sign. I felt like I had a good opportunity, um, but just not as much opportunity as I would in some of the other spots. I wanted to save some of the other spots for the rut and um, for later in the season. And so that opening day, I actually went to a spot where I didn't have to kayak very far. Um, I had to hike a little ways in, but I didn't have to kayak very far into it. Um, and uh, was able to go in there. And <laughs> I hate the. it's really hard when you add a paddle trip into what time do I need to be in the stand? Cause right. now you have to, you have to say what time do I need to be on the water paddling? And, um, so the sun, I, it wasn't up yet. I got up, I got up in the tree way before daylight, but, um, it was starting to kind of peak and you could see the sky was getting a little bit lighter. And so I just kind of had to like 
find, say, okay, this looks like I didn't get to the spot that I wanted to get back into, but this looks like a good spot. And actually that first day, um, I know for Midwest guys or Texas guys, uh, it's not going to sound like much, but the first day I saw two does the first morning and I was pumped. It was like, oh my gosh, there's deer here. I've gone, <laughs> I've gone one full season in Alabama without seeing a deer. Uh, that was the only season I've never killed a deer. And it was when I was 21, I think. And I did not see a deer that whole season. And so seeing two on opening day on public land, I was like, I mean, I could have seen a, you know, 200 inch deer and I would have been just as excited. (laughs) It was, it was, it was, it was just so cool. It felt like, um, it felt like it paid off, you know? Right. Um, and so it got me pretty jacked up. I was pretty, pretty pumped after that. So you, you got in there and did you feel that it was working? Did seeing those two does that, that one day kind of give you a little bit of confidence going into the seasons being like, this is, this might work. This might just work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I saw those first two walk through and it was like, okay, that's exactly what I thought they were going to do. It's kind of like one of those, um, plan came together type things. And, uh, it definitely boosted my confidence and I was already pretty confident, um, just by the sign that I was seeing. But when I saw the deer on the first morning, it was like, okay, I can do this. We can make this work. Gotcha. All right. So just a little bit more detail. I mean, in, into, you know, setting up, putting all the gear on the kayak is one thing, right? You, you got, you, yeah. you don't have to be quiet, but when you get to the place where you're taking the kayak out of the water, taking all your gear out off the kayak. I mean, were is it was it loud to do? I mean, how much thought went into keeping things quiet? Um, it it really honestly it depended on um, where I was where I was going to hunt um, in that given um, time, and so uh, there was one spot that I hunted that was. I mean, right on the water. And when I hunted there, I wouldn't hunt it in the mornings. I'd only hunt in the afternoons. Um, that way I could kind of look and see what was in the area before I even got out of the kayak. And um, obviously you're not going to see everything that's in the area. But uh, I actually, that my first shot opportunity came right there in that spot. And so, um, and I hunted in the afternoon and it, it's louder. It's it's louder than, you know, obviously uh, just getting into a blind, you know, climbing up a ladder. But at the same time, you know, I'm using a climber tree stand and those aren't exactly quiet anyways. Um, and so it's kind of just one of those, like, uh, so the initial thought that I had, the whole reason behind this was I'm coming, I'm coming at the deer from a, a direction that they don't associate with danger. So the lake, they hear noises and boats and skiers and all kinds of stuff coming from the lake, but that's not what they consider danger. I've fished my whole life and been right up on the shore and deer act like I'm not even there. Um, but if you come at them from the other side, they would, they'd be spooky and jump off and blow at you and stuff. And so, um, I kind of thought that that would be an aspect for me, like, um, coming at them from a different angle and that they don't associate with danger. Um, but at the same time, you still want to stay as quiet as possible, but you can only be so quiet when you're carrying that much gear. Um, and so a lot, most of my spots I hiked, you know, 
300 400 yards into the woods but one specific spot I, it was right on the water and so when i was hunting there i you know try to do everything i could while my feet were still in the water so i'm not um you know clanking on rocks and stuff uh or pull up to the spots that are the muddiest so i'm going to get nasty but it's still quieter um and so there's a lot of things you have to think about <laughs> with right. it that are just completely different right right so how far were you walking in from your from your kayak to your tree stand location did that change or it was there were you consistently uh, you know x amount of yards from your kayak yeah it it pretty much changed almost every single time there was only a couple times that i sat in the exact same tree um now the spot that i ended up um, being the most successful in the spot that I saw more, more deer in, um, it was a, a mile and a half paddle from the, from the boat ramp to the, to the beach. And then about, uh, four or 500 yards from where I would beach my kayak to where I would hunt. And, um, and I would say that would be pretty average, you know, four to 500 yards of hiking. Of course, on public land, you're supposed to take your uh, in, in Alabama on the national forest, you're supposed to take your stand out with you every single time. And so I was always carrying my stand with me, um, always carrying it back out of the woods. Of course I'd have two bags. Um, and what, so what after I had my bow or my rifle. And so, uh, it's carry, you're carrying a lot of stuff, but it's definitely worth it in the end. Yeah. So you had to tear down and set up absolutely every night, every single time, every yes, single sir. time. Man, I tell you what, now I don't do that by, by law. I do it by choice, you know, and I have enough tree stands on some of the properties that I hunt where I can, you know, I can, uh, I can leave a stand up to if I want to, but by law you have to take, you have to tear down now. So, I mean, how, how frustrating was that to have to do that every time that you, I just... I feel like there is a, like it just would weigh on you after a while where you're driving an hour, right? From your home to, yep. Yes, sir. You're driving an hour, you're unloading a kayak, you're paddling roughly an hour. Then it's going to take you 20 minutes from the kayak to the time you get your, to your stand location. Then it's set up and then you hunt there for a little bit or all day or wherever. (laughs) And then you tear down and you do everything in reverse. I mean, was it, was it frustrating? Uh, like, did you ever reach a point where you're like, dude, this is not worth it? Um, no, I never reached that point. And, um, and I'll tell you why. So you, when you're so used to hunting one way and being frustrated by, okay, I just drove an hour. I drove an hour and got out of my truck and walked a hundred yards to a shooting house and didn't see a single deer. That's that, that piss you off. That's frustrating. But, um, when you do it with a kayak and you, you put in all this work, put all this effort in and say you sit and don't see a single deer, you get back to the truck and you're still like, holy crap, I did something awesome today. And, um, and so it was constantly that drive and knowing eventually I'm going to keep doing this crap until I get it done. And eventually I'm going to be on cloud nine. At some point I'm going to be kayaking back to the truck 
and with a deer on the front and it's going to be the best feeling I've ever had. And that was, so last year I would get so frustrated when I would see even my, my best of friends shoot a big deer because I know that I was working as hard or harder than them. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't shoot anything. And so there's like a jealousy issue. And so another reason I started doing this is because I wanted to be happy for my friends. I wanted to enjoy the hunt. I wanted to enjoy the experience and enjoy them getting to experience things too, knowing that what I was doing was significantly harder than what most people do. And so it really made my attitude better. Um, all season has just been absolutely incredible because I've been able to enjoy just the sport and the, the pursuit and the success and then also enjoy my friends being successful as well. Awesome. And so, um, so yeah, it never got frustrating. And, uh, I've had one time when it got frustrating, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it right now. Okay. Um, uh, I say one time, um, one time that was real frustrating. So, um, back in, I guess it was the beginning part of November. Uh, it was, it was bow season and I still hadn't shot a deer yet. And, uh, I went in one morning and came out about nine 30, um, because I had to get to work. And so, uh, I noticed that the Creek was, was really low. And so I was like, okay, whatever, I guess maybe they let some water out of the lake or something. And so I, I pulled my kayak up out of the water and was, it was on dry ish ground. It was on mud and, uh, and so I went and hunted and came back and my kayak was gone that morning. And so, um, I was like, somebody stole my kayak. Oh man! Somebody came out and stole my kayak. And I was just kind of walking around the, the, the beach right there. And I look up and I'd see a little bitty tiny speck in the middle of the lake. And sure enough, it's my kayak floating away. So the water had risen. They had at, put water in, I guess, or whatever, had risen like three feet <laughs> and carried my kayak into the middle of the lake. And this was when it was first starting to get cold. Uh, it was, um, you know, it was November the, the 10th, I believe. Okay. And it was starting to get cold. And I saw that it was about to go by this point that I might have a chance of swimming out to it. And so I went, I ran to it. Uh, took all my clothes off. I was in my my boxers and my orange hat just in case somebody saw me. <laughs> and uh, and I, I swam out about eighty yards, and it was just, dude, it was going like it was. It felt like it was going hundred miles an hour because the wind was just blowing. And I, I, you know, I never had one of those moments where I thought I could die out here, but swimming against the wind like that, and then the wind just carrying me. I would look back at the beach and look at my kayak and there's no freaking way I can get that thing. And so I ended up swimming back to the beach and just sitting there watching my kayak float away in my boxers and my orange hat. And, um, I called my wife and I was just like, I don't know what to do. Um, (laughs) I called the, I called the, um, game warden number or whatever the, uh, Department of Wildlife, and they were like, we can bring a kayak out in like two hours. Um, I was like, don't y'all have game wardens on the lake? I feel like they are always here when I don't want them to be here, but <laughs> <laughs> they said no. And so I ended up, it was crazy the way it happened. It ended up floating directly 
into somebody's boat slip on their on the on the opposite side of the lake. Uh, I saw it go in this little cove, and I was like, "Well, I can drive over there." So I drove over to it. I put on my clothes. Well, wait a second. Time out. Time out. Yeah. You forgot the whole part about putting your clothes back on and walking back to your truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, because that's it's like, well, I think I'll just walk back. You made it sound like you're you're close and it's easy to get to. No. So um. So no, it wasn't. It was a little <laughs> bit closer. Um, it was a little bit closer than the rest of the spot. So it was actually the opposite order of what you just said. It was, um, it was walk back and then put my clothes on. Uh, so I walked the whole way in my boxers. I put my boots back on and my boxers and my hat because my clothes were muddy, uh, because they had been sitting on that beach, that, that wet beach. So my clothes were all muddy. So I was like, screw this. I'm just going to walk back. I don't care. There's nobody here. And so, um, but I left my orange hat on because if somebody happened to be driving by the lake or, or um, on a boat or something or in their front yard and they see a kayak floating in the middle of the lake and see a guy without any clothes on in an orange hat, maybe <laughs> they'll help me. And um, so I walked back to the, to the, to the truck and um, kind of warmed off. I had some extra clothes in there that I put on. And drove around the lake, all the way around the lake to this where I thought it went in at. And uh, sure enough, it the kayak floated straight into somebody's boat slip, like their dock. Wow. Um, it was crazy. It looked like it was supposed to be parked there. And so I was able to go down there and get it. Um, so that was the most frustrating thing that had happened. Um, another frustrating-ish thing. Um, so my dad and me went last two weeks ago. We did a rutcation. So we camped out on the National Forest. He brought his kayak from Texas. He came up and we camped out and hunted and stuff. He had never done this. And so he didn't have all the gear that I had to be able to do it well. Um, so we go to this spot and uh, I take him to a spot and then I go to my spot. And um, that morning I shot a, a deer. I shot a buck. And so I was pumped up. I was really happy. And uh, – <laughs> I didn't want to drag it out yet out of the woods because I wanted to wait for him where at the spot he was hunting. So I went to him uh, about nine o'clock and we got in his boat and he started leaving and he completely flipped his kayak. And this day, this day it was like 30 degrees outside. It was freaking cold. And he flipped his kayak. All of his stuff fell out. Uh, His bag fell out. His clothes were soaked. This is the first hunt of this trip. Oh man. And his gun fell into the bottom of the lake. And so, um, and this was a special gun. His dad gave him this gun when he was 16. My grandfather gave it to him. Um, and so it was special. Uh, and so my dad actually got down into his underwear. We spent a lot of time in our underwear uh, <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> so my dad got into his underwear and got in this water that was so freaking cold. And tried to swim to it. It ended up being like 15 feet deep. And I was actually able to fish it out with a, a an anchor. Oh, uh, so, so you we got, got it back. Did you see it or did you get lucky? No, I got completely lucky. Uh, I was able to get the get the, the um, anchor strap. I was able to get the strap of the gun with the anchor and pull it up. And so, and you would have thought we killed a, a giant the way we were yelling. <laughs> and hollering. Got oh, it. I got God. it. <laughs> Dude, I'll send you, I'll send you some of the pictures of my dad. Uh, 
I, t- I took pictures. I shouldn't have. I'm a bad son. <laughs> but I took pictures while he was in his underwear. That's um, funny. That's funny. And so all this happened and we still had to drag a deer out of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I mean, this, this new process, right? This new approach that you, you took to solve a problem, right? You can't, you would have, you would have never ran into the deer that you, that you ran into this year. If it wasn't for thinking outside of the box, um, taking a different approach to, uh, you know, finding stand locations and you used a kayak to do it. Is this something that you're going to continue to do moving forward? Oh, absolutely. So, um, so this, this year I was able to, and the season's not over yet. I can still, I can still shoot does with my bow. That's what I can do for the rest of the season until February. Um, and so, uh, but I was able to kill one doe and three bucks. I was able to tag on, tag out on bucks, for the first time ever. And, and for me, that was a, um, that was it. There's nothing I'm telling you, Dan, there's nothing better than kayaking out of a spot with a deer on the front. Like, it's just like this new addiction that I've got. And, um, and it's totally worth it. Whether you kill, uh, if you shoot a spike, um, or, or a giant, a good deer, a good, respectable deer. It doesn't matter that what I used to live for was the, uh, the rush of walking up to the deer and, and seeing it and put my hands on it and, you know, stuff like that. Now what I live for is I love all of that still, but the thing that's the best part is putting it on the front of the kayak and just paddling away. You know, <laughs> it's just this insane feeling, man. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's cool. So I'm, I, I have permission to hunt a couple of different other places out here and I honestly don't even want to do it because it's just, it can't beat this. Right. Um, so it's the, so, the adventure, the, the, the yeah. entire experience, not necessarily the kill, right? It's exactly. It completely, it, you know, a lot of guys, I know like you, um, you bow hunt 100% of the time. Is that right? That's For right. the most part. That's right. You bow hunt 100% of the time. And, and for you, that's that, it's that experience of, uh, shooting a deer with a bow that just, it makes shooting a deer with a gun just feel like it's not even fun. Um, and, and that's the way it is for me with this public land from the kayak. It's like, I, you know, I have permission to hunt places where I could go kill good deer, but man, this is just incredible. This is so much more fun to me and the challenge is even greater. Um, the thing I've been focusing on this year is just having, uh, actually I saw Mark Kenyon, post uh, a Instagram story of a book called grit that he was reading. And so I started reading the book and it's been my focus for this whole, this whole season and every aspect of my life is having just determination and perseverance and, and just grinding it out uh, and eventually being, being successful and being more successful than other people uh, when you have that. So awesome. Awesome. Well, congratulations, man. It sounds like you've uh, really found your niche, something that you're going to continue to do, something that you're passionate about. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So, uh, Parker, man, I really appreciate you taking time to uh, hop on the podcast, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. I loved it. Thank you so much. And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Parker. Really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast, man. 
Huge shout out to all the listeners of this podcast and of the listeners of the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Please continue to subscribe, continue to follow. Lots of cool things coming down the pipe. Uh, Not only... I'll just give you a little insight to what's going to happen, right, for this spring. The goal is I'm going to be introducing some more content, not on this feed, on additional feeds. Uh, And one of those feeds will be kind of a a Western or big game focused podcast. You know, talk about mule deer, elk, antelope, you know, bear maybe. Uh, And then we have uh, another feed that's going to be coming and that's going to be waterfowl. And then on the back burner is another feed and that's going to be fishing related topics. So just a one-stop shop for all of your, uh, I guess, podcast, outdoor podcast needs, you know, because although here we love listening to whitetail content, I also like to listen to Western content. I like to listen to fishing content. I like to listen to waterfowl content and the sportsman's nation podcast network is going to be a one-stop shop for all that and hopefully i can get that completed up and running it's going to come in sections so you're going to have probably the western first or waterfowl first and then you're going to have fishing following that Uh, and then hopefully some video content coming soon Uh, just i'm really excited about 2018 as you can tell now Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Wasp, Ozonics, Deer Lab, Exodus, Lone Wolf, Gearhead, Ripcord, and Bighorn Outfitters. Oh, what else? What else? What else? If you haven't already, go to iTunes, leave a review, or any place else that you listen to this uh, podcast. Please subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you download your podcast. Please go and subscribe to the podcast. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I need to say. I'm talking slow while I think. That's it. Next week's the ATA show, so hopefully I can... uh, do some some quick podcasts and get some out to you guys um, while I'm there. Just some raw, raw podcasts. And uh, if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.